May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So good to be here with you all on this Memorial Day weekend. I just can't believe it's Memorial Day. I mean, how, how is that possible? It seems like this year is flying by. Although I'm very glad I've been out of seminary classes for a week. And I hardly know what to do with myself in the evenings, not having to go home and write papers and all of those things. So it has been great. I'm off through Labor Day. So hallelujah. I'm very happy. So, um, but today I want to look at this passage or this gospel reading from John 17. And the big idea for today is really that Christian unity only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can have only have unity if we're in relation with him. John 17 is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's, it's 26 verses, and today, of course, we're just looking mostly at verses 20 to 26. Um, but this closes the upper room discourse and precedes his agony of going to the cross. It's Thursday night. Jesus and the disciples are celebrating the Passover. And, of course, this dates back to Exodus chapter 13 and 14. Um, as they remember God's miraculous deliverance, from the slavery in Egypt. They'd been in slavery for 400 years, and now this is some 1,500 years later. And they're still celebrating the Passover as a remembrance of God's greatest deliverance he had ever done for his people. But now he was going to do something even greater. Because now he was going to do a spiritual deliverance through his son on the cross. And the Passover would be transformed now. And so every week when we gather here, we celebrate the Eucharist as remembering that Passover meal where Jesus was heading to the cross. And we feast on him and we're nourished by him in that meal so that we can go out each week and do the work that he's given us to do. So for today, I want to look at, first, we'll just talk about what these parts are broken into. So in verses 1 through 5 of this prayer, Jesus is praying for himself. And he's praying that he might be glorified. And then in verses 6 through 19, he prays for the apostles. And he asks that they might be protected and sanctified. And then he prays for the church. And he prays that the entire church be unified. And he prays not only for those that would come right after him, but he prays for us today. This is for the entire church, for the generations to come. I think that's incredible that Jesus was praying for us. That he remembered us that night as he prayed this prayer. And I think it's easy today to look around and think, what has happened? We don't seem very unified. You look at the world and you go, the world's a mess. No one's unified. Division, isolation, separation. It's not good. You look at the body of Christ and we have so much tension, it seems like, within the church today. Over all sorts of things. 
You know, in one of my seminary classes that I took, we, we talked about church history, and so someone had suggested, they said, well, if we hadn't had the Reformation, we'd all still be in one denomination, and we'd be united. But I don't think that would have done it. You know, I heard it suggested that maybe it was a theology thing. If we could unite in theology, we'd be united. Mm, probably not. You know, one of, one of the classes I took this semester was sacramental theology. And it's an Anglican course at Asbury, and so it's predominantly Anglican students. But we have Methodists in there. We have Lutherans in there. We had a couple that were Baptists. And um, I threw that in just for you, Fran and John. You know, I don't want to leave out the Baptists. I always give them a hard time. But I, I love the Baptists very much. And the Baptist hymnal, apparently. Fran is always reminding me. But in that class, when we got talking about the Eucharist and baptism, there was a lot of theological differences amongst us. There was a lot of different views. Transubstantiation, consubstantiation, memorialist, a mixture, I don't know. And it just went on and on. And we have all these class discussions. And I went up to Asbury for a week, and that was one of the classes I sat in on with the professor and the professors and Anglican priests. And so he, of course, talked a lot about the Anglican beliefs for the Eucharist and baptism. And it prompted lots of discussion. And what you realize is, and all that, that that can cause division. That can cause division. And I sat there and I thought, why are we so divided over something like the Eucharist and the baptism, when all of us sitting in this room have shared at the beginning of class our personal testimony of how we met Jesus. And yet we're letting some theological differences cause a lot of division within the churches today. Now our conversations, of course, in seminary were civil, and we had to write papers on that and kind of figure out what, what do you believe? Taking all that we've learned, what, what is my view? And I have a definite view on baptism and the Eucharist based on all my studies, but I'm not going to let it be a division against someone who has a different theological view of that if we're both walking down the road and following Jesus together, because we have to be united in our relationship with him. You know, the type of unity that Jesus is praying for is unity that exists between him and the Father. The love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is that of a holy love. And it's a love of holiness. It loves what is pure and holy and it honors the other. And where we have people today honoring and loving God, they will also love holiness. And when we're all loving holiness, that's how we'll be united. That's how we'll be united, because we're loving God first, and therefore we're loving each other. And then we're called to confront an unholy world, an ungodly world, a disconnected, shattered, broken, and ruined world with a vision of holy, loving oneness. And I think we look around today and think, how is it even possible where we can no longer share each other's thoughts without someone getting angry. We think, how is this possible? You know, if we can't get along in the church, 
not Christ the King, but the greater church picture, how can we ever expect the world to come around? I ran across this story from about 250 years ago. There was a pastor named Charles Simeon, and he was called to Trinity Church in Cambridge in May of 1782, and he endured fruitfully there through much fire for 54 years of ministry. One day when he was very young, he met John Wesley, and of course John Wesley is considered the founder of Methodism, Method, the Methodist Church, although he died in Anglican, and we did learn that at Asbury, so we'll, we'll claim him. But Simeon had a discussion with Wesley, and Wesley was very old. I think he actually passed away the same year that they had this conversation. But Charles Simeon said to Wesley, he said, Sir, I understand that you are called an Armenian. And I have sometimes been called a Calvinist. And therefore, I suppose we are to draw daggers. But before I consent to begin the combat, with your permission, I'd like to ask a few questions. Pray, sir, do you feel yourself a depraved creature? So depraved that you would never have thought of turning to God if God had not first put it into your heart? Wesley replied, yes, I do indeed. And do you utter d despair of recommending yourself to God by anything you can do and look for salvation slowly through the blood and righteousness of Christ? Yes, solely through Christ, responded Wesley. But sir, supposing you were at first saved by Christ, are you not or other, not somehow or another to save yourself afterwards by your own works? No. I must be saved by Christ from first to last. Charles Simeon went on to say, Allowing then that you were first turned by the grace of God, are you not in some way or other to keep yourself by your own power? No, said Wesley. What then are you to be upheld every hour and every moment by God? As much as an infant in its mother's arms? Yes, said Wesley. And is all your hope in the grace and mercy of God to preserve you unto his heavenly kingdom? Yes, I have no hope but in Christ. Then, sir, with your leave, I will put up my dagger again, for this is all my Calvinism. This is my election, my justification by faith, my final perseverance. It is in substance that all that I hold, and as I hold it, and therefore... If you please, instead of searching out terms and phrases to be a ground of contention between us, we will cordially unite in those things where we agree. You see, Charles Simeon recognized that while he and Wesley had different theological views on some things, that they could unite because they loved Jesus. And they loved him so much that they could be united together, despite those differences. Many years later, Simeon went on to teach young pastors, and he was quoted to tell one group of students, my endeavor is to bring out of scripture what is there, and not to trust in what I might think is there. Take the word as little children without inquiring what human system it appears to favor. Be a Bible Christian and not a system Christian. 
You know, this week I I'd met with some friends and we were talking kind of about this topic. We were talking about this topic. You know, and sometimes we become so eager to jump into reading the latest Max Licato book or the latest Bible study that's been put out by somebody. And we jump into that with enthusiasm and it's like, this is the best and we read it. And they're really good, those books, because they really do help us on our walk. But what I discussed, what we discussed as I was talking to them is that how we're, we don't jump into the scriptures very quickly. We get really excited about books written about the scriptures, but we don't necessarily jump into just reading the Bible, just studying the Bible, just hearing what the Holy Spirit has to tell us through the scriptures. And I loved when I read that quote the next day after talking with these people, these friends, and reading this quote and saying, be a Bible Christian. That's what we need today. We need Bible Christians, people that are studying the word. We should have more enthusiasm in doing that than reading the latest book that's come out on the scriptures. We need that. We need to study. In 2 Corinthians, it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. If we're going to let our light shine in the darkness through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to know what's in this book. We have to be grounded in the Word, because without that, there's no way we're going to be united. Without that, we're not going to really know who God is. And we're not going to have the knowledge of the Father to share with others. You know, I always go back, and I know I said this in a sermon I preached before, I always go back to the first seminary class I took, New Testament. And the teacher said he had a student come up to him, and he had, he's been doing this for years, teaching, 40-plus years. And he said one of his first classes, a guy came up to him and said, I've been preaching for 25 years, and I just like to open the Bible, see where it lands, and let the Holy Spirit take over. And he goes, I just like to see where it goes. I don't know why I need to learn all this stuff. And the professor said he told him, well, it's helpful to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. That's why you learn this stuff. And I thought, isn't that true? Isn't that true? That's what we need to be doing. We've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. If we think we're just going to show up new to the faith, or walking in the faith for years but not doing anything, not studying anything, we're not giving the Holy Spirit a lot to work with. He can work. He can still use us. But isn't it more exciting to think, I've been in the, the Word. I've been spending time in prayer. And I'm getting to see what? God is going to do with this in me. And we've given him that to work with. You know, to live a holy life, we really have to go to God first. We have to love him first. Because if we try to unite with people first, as we so often do, it's going to fail. It's out of order. But so often we go, I can just, I can just love Nancy. Nancy's great. I can love Nancy. Cynthia and Ethel too. And we'll love them. But if I'm not loving God first, sooner or later, something's going to happen, and I'm going to get frustrated. 
because we all do things that bug each other and frustrate each other, and we go, ugh, this person. And then we fall out of unity and we become divided. But if we're loving God first, we can overcome those differences when they arise because they will arise. It's human nature. They will happen. We're not all the same. It even says over here in Mark, it says, and this was Jesus talking, he said, and love, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not love your neighbor first and then God. It's love God first with your whole heart and then you can love your neighbor. We've got to get back to that, that we're loving God first and then serving the people. Because apart from Jesus, there can be no unity. You know, this was a really hard week. Because we heard about the tragedy in Texas. 19 students and two teachers killed. And as you watch the news, there's lots of fingers being pointed. What should have been different? What should have happened? And we're looking at this unimaginable event thinking, how does this happen in the United States? How does this happen today? And you watch the news and they're talking about gun control or arming the good guys or more security, higher fences. And we can do all those things. We could sit down and come up with some great plan to prevent this from happening. But there's always the chance for something like that to happen because it's really not about guns and fences and all those things. It's a heart problem. We have a heart problem today. This country has a heart problem. And the only fix for the heart problem is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we've turned so far from that, we're struggling. We're struggling. And so the only way to fix it is to open our Bibles and fall on our knees and pray for something to happen, for God to move, for the hearts to be changed. We've got to do that. John MacArthur said, I make no apology when I say that the whole world is caught up in lies and deception. And only the Bible has the truth. Because it is the truth. We've got to turn back as the body of Christ to studying the word, being in unity with God, so that we can be in unity to other people and let our light shine. That's where we've got to get to. In Ephesians it says, To you then are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Our foundation has to be on Christ. Our foundation cannot be on anything else, otherwise we're going to fall. When tragedy occurs, we're going to fall. When bad things happen to good people, we're going to fall. When we're walking through the desert 
and God's not speaking, we're going to fall if our foundation has not been built on Jesus Christ. Because we go through really tough seasons sometimes. And we have to be grounded. He has to be the cornerstone. Because it says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God dwelling in us. Father Tom always refers to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And so this week at staff meeting, he brought this up. And hopefully you all know the answer to this question. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to and glorify God and enjoy him forever. But Tom asks the second question in this. I got the answer wrong, by the way, at staff meeting, but I won't tell you what I said. The second question in this is, what rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? And the answer in the Westminster Catechism is the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Without the Bible, without the Old and New Testament, without these words, there's no way to glorify God and enjoy him. We have to be rooted in the word. We have to be Bible Christians. You know, I can tell you, anytime you travel on a mission trip and you get to another country, you realize that despite different cultures, different backgrounds, different skin colors, the minute you meet some of the people on those trips, you know that they are your brothers and your sisters because of the inward life we share in Christ. You go on those trips and we have the language barriers, we have all that stuff, and you meet them and you go, I just, you're family. We're family. And we've never met. And you come back here, wherever you're from, and you meet certain people that look like you, that talk like you, that act like you, and you realize, I have nothing in common with you because you don't know Jesus. And see, we're called to confront that and share him. And the only way we can do that is if we know the truth ourselves. In Matthew it says, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of the, my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. We need to be loving God and doing his will for our lives. You know, we live in a culture that be yourself, do your own thing. That's what the kids are told today, it seems like. You can do anything you want to do, be anything you want to be, and whatever makes you happy, whatever makes you feel good, you go do it. That's what these kids think today, a lot of them. I hear it from the kids. 
You know, what do you want to be? I just want to be, uh, I want to be a such and such doctor because you know how much money they start out making? And those are the things that you hear. And it always crushes me. It hurts me. Because I think you're never going to be fulfilled when you're just running after money. When you're just running after the next greatest gadget. As we grow in Christ, all that kind of goes away. It's good. Money is used for ministry every day. Some of these things do improve our lives, and they're nice, and we thank God for them. But that stuff cannot take the place of God. And see, that's what's being taught a lot to our kids, is all these things are what's going to fulfill you, because this is all there is. This is all there is. Your 75, 80 years, this is all there is. But it's not all there is. And so that causes so much stress because we strive and we watch people strive for all these things to get ahead because they want to do whatever it takes to be comfortable now because this is all they've got. I don't know about you, but I can take discomfort in this life because I know what's coming and I get to be with Jesus. And that's so much better than anything this world has to offer. So much better. Jesus said in this gospel reading, he said, The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them. And what was that? It was love. The Father loved the Son. And that was the Son's glory. That is why we are called to love God and love others. And that is how we're going to be one. By being in Christ. In Jude it says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. It is these who will cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We should not be surprised at the things that are going on in the world today because we were told it was going to happen. And we're also told to keep ourselves in the love of God. Don't let all the craziness that's going on distract you from keeping fixed on him. When Jesus prayed this prayer that we are one, it is to be one with him and the Father. The Father loves Jesus infinitely, eternally, and intimately. And he loves us the same way because we are in his Son. So what should mark our lives as Christians? And it should be that we are so loved. Love to God, love to each other, Jesus was preparing to head to the cross. He would suffer unimaginably for all that is unloving and hateful about us. And yet he continues to love us infinitely, eternally, and intimately. You are so loved. We are so loved. 
be a Bible Christian. Amen.